Be ready for everything and anything. Every good player has the ability to slow the game down. It doesn't matter what just happened, it's what you're gonna do next. Donut three! One, two, three, zone! This episode is brought to you by Smushball, the official training ball of Zone Sports Academy. How many times do you go to a game and there's no batting cages, no nets, and you only have a field to hit into? No problem. Smush balls are excellent because you can use them for hitting, fielding, catching, blocking, throwing, and much more. Smush balls are the perfect practice ball to use indoors or outdoors, in rain or cold conditions, against fences, nets, and even in basements. We love them for all ages and skill levels. Smush balls, the pliable ball that you can count on. Welcome to the Get Zoned In podcast for coaches looking to improve their skills and knowledge both on and off the field. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, this podcast is for you. We'll be exploring a variety of topics that are relevant and important to baseball and softball coaches, but this advice can be used for all sports and skill levels. Join us as we dive into the world of coaching and learn from some of the best in the business. Whether you're looking to improve your team's performance or just want to make a positive impact on your players, we've got you covered. Let's go and let's play ball. Ladies and gentlemen, on today's podcast, we are honored to have Michael Ramazzotti as our special guest. Mike's an accomplished baseball coach who has had a distinguished career both as a player and as a coach. He played college ball at Santa Rosa Junior College and New Mexico Highlands University, earning a bachelor's degree in business and management. He also holds a master's degree in health and physical education and fitness from the United States Sports Academy. After college, Mike played professionally for several teams, including the El Paso Diablos in the Independent American Association, the Marina Waves in the Italian Baseball League, and the Yuma Scorpions of the Golden Baseball League. After his playing career, Mike continued to remain active in baseball as a coach, including coaching at the youth travel ball and high school levels, where he coached the San Pasquale High School Golden Eagles and the Miramesa Senior High School Marauders. In 2016, he joined the college ranks as an assistant coach for the Santa Barbara City College Vaqueros, hope I said that right, and then served as the director of baseball operations at the University of San Diego. Mike returned to the Toreros in 2018 as a volunteer assistant coach before joining the University of California San Diego Tritons as an assistant coach in 2019 where he stayed through 2021. Most recently, the Houston Astros hired Mike in 2022. This is his second year. He's a development coach for the Asheville Tourists. With his extensive experience and knowledge of the game, we are excited to learn from Mike and hear his insights on coaching and developing players. Please join me in welcoming Mike Ramazzotti to our podcast. Mike, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I've been, I've been following what you guys do for a long time. Um, had the had the opportunity to, to finally meet face to face at the ABCA this year, and um, you know I uh, instantly drawn to what you guys do because I feel very passionate about about coaching, um, but uh, more so helping youth players. And and I started my coaching career when I moved to San Diego. I knew that I wanted to go to a place where baseball was played year round. I wasn't sure if I wanted to wasn't sure if I wanted to coach or if it was a long term deal. I just know that I loved always loved baseball I felt like more than anybody that I was around and I went through you know like a lot of us players do you go through this period of time when you're done playing where you're 
you, everyone thinks they want to coach, but I think you, you go through that because that's all you know, right? It's just you're, you you have a schedule, you're used to this routine, and coaches or, pe- or players, they go through this, uh, oh, I want to be a coach because that's what I know, and I went through that too, where it's like, I really want to coach because because I love helping other humans, and this is the best avenue for me because of my passion for the game, or is this just what I know? And the more that I got into it, I remember the exact day that I, I knew I wanted to coach. I, I had the opportunity to coach this travel team. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to try it. And if it and if it stinks, I have enough education and I'm young enough to where then I can maybe go into to physical fitness or training because I knew that I was, was going to be one of those two things, you know, sports performance, whatever it might have been. But I've always loved sports. And I went I coached this travel team. Side note, one of the players on the travel team is a 13-year-old David Hensley, who is currently on the Astros big league, big league team. So um, it's a really cool kind of full circle story. But the first day I go there, that the coach was great. His name was Greg Volger. I'm forever grateful for this guy. To, you know, I just rolled in there and he said, Hey, wh- whatever you want to do, this team's pretty good. They've been in tournaments, you know, and travel ball was kind of up and coming in San Diego. It's it's a it's a disaster what it is now, but I think everybody knows that. So most people know that, that are their coaches. So they just try to actively, you know, try to find best situations for their kids, but it's a disaster. Um, I was in it kind of at the beginning ish, like San Diego stars, um, San Diego show. And there's a handful of others that really started it. And they were, they were really elite. I think I was probably in that second wave where there's a lot of good players and, they were trying to find teams for a lot of good players. And I'm sure there was some sort of daddy ball going on then too, where it was like, well, my kid's not playing enough here, whatever. I went out there and this guy said, Hey, this seems pretty good. They've been in some tournaments as 10, 11, 12 year olds. Uh, but we're just looking for a, a, a person that has enough energy that can kind of take them to the next level. And I said, well, I got plenty of that, man. You know, you'll have to reel me back in, but they're 13. So, you know, I might, be pretty aggressive with them. That was kind of my, my upbringing at, at Santa Rosa JC, like ultimate accountability, extreme accountability um, within the realm of baseball, because baseball is such a detail oriented sport. And so I showed up guns blazing. I was 25, 26, just fresh out of the Italian leagues and, you know, just full of, full of as much energy as I could, I could throw onto them. And, uh, you know, and then, and that night, so that first practice, sorry to kind of get distracted there. My, that first practice, I came home and I told my, my now wife, this is what I want to do. There's no doubt. Like I couldn't explain this, this fulfillment that I got from helping these kids and seeing them just from day one, like, Oh man, this guy, this guy really cares about this game. And it seems like he really cares about helping us more than he cares about telling us about who he is and what he's done. And I think that carries over at all levels, all the way up to the top. You know, I'm meeting, I'm, I'm getting to spend some time with really high level major league coaches. And that stays true wherever, you know, like there's plenty of people out there that are, that are pretty insecure. And all they want to do is tell you, well, I did this and I played here and I hit this many home runs and I did this, but it's not a, you know, when you're coaching, it's not about you anymore. Right. Right. It's about the kid and about the kids and they don't really really they don't care you know whether they're seven years old or they're 27 or they're 16 they they are dealing with enough stuff in their own life to care who cares about you you know and if you can spend some of your own experiences the right way then it's helpful but it's not about you telling them what you did it's about you you know you showing 
how much you care. And, and uh, you know, I, I see Duke on, on, on social media all the time. He freaking brings it every day. And I think other people see that and are, are probably drawn to that. But not everybody has to be coaches like us, right? And, and you have to find your own coaching style within your own, what fits your own personality. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you show up and you care more about those humans that you're with, whether they're six years old, 17 or, or 27, that they're going to know that, you know, you, you care about them. You don't have to be loud and jumpy and energetic. Or you could be quiet, but it's just a matter of, of being secure enough in yourself to know that, that stuff. And, and, I, and again, I'm learning that journey every day there, you know, there's, there's days that I need to know when I can throttle that energy down and when I need to throttle it back, because sometimes if it, it comes across as it comes across as, as ingenuine, when I just like, I'm excited to be there. But if you don't know me, you're like, Oh, this guy's trying too hard or this guy's whatever. When really it's just like, no, I'm just so amped to be here and be given this opportunity to help the, the group of humans that I'm with today that, and I care about baseball and I, and I know that I can help them enjoy the game the right way that I'm excited for that opportunity. So that's where you see that excitement coming out. And as you get to know me, you, you and I think Duke, I, I, you could probably speak on this as well, that, that people, if they never met you before, they're like, okay, this guy can't keep this up, you know, all day, or this guy can't keep this up for a, a but long we can, time. But we can. Yeah, you just do, man, because it, it's, it's, you could see it. And dude, there'd be days where, you know, the college level is hard because as a volunteer, you don't make money. And so maybe if you're going a long period of time without camp income, you've got to do lessons. And I, and I was a lesson grinder. Um, starting from that, that 13 year old team, I had kids that I worked with and then word of mouth spreads and it's just like a wildfire, but still have kids that I go back and do lessons with in the off season. But you know, there'd be days at the end of a 12 hour day and you're gassed and you have that first lesson at six o'clock. And the kid shows up and he's amped. And if you don't bring it in from that, you know, in that hour, then like that could ruin the, the kid's experience. And baseball is hard enough as it is. And so if you're always positive in a in the right way, like you can hold them accountable and be positive. I think, you know, we'll probably talk about this on this on this podcast, but people always when I say, you know, or when we say have fun, people always think that that means like at practice, you just freaking go rogue and let them do whatever the hell they want that's fun like you can you can do both you can be, be hold them accountable to fundamentals or things that you think are important but but do it in a fun way like i i coach this you know we're i'm here on the in the pro level and and i all, all i talk about is working with these seven-year-old kids i had this seven-year-old group last before i got the job at the astros and we started this fall ball league at UC San Diego and called it the junior Tritons. It was something really cool that uh, they got to practice on the field and all stuff. They got they, the, and the parents felt like they were a part of the college community, which parents like sometimes, but you know, you, you, you kind of like kids are having trouble catching balls. And instead of being like, Hey, you know, do this or do that or command this, like, like you kind of give them a hard time. Like, Oh my God, are you, are you, are you serious? Like, are you serious? Did you seriously try to catch it like that? You know, and you kind of joke with them to where it takes the anxiousness off of them and it's still fun. Right. And so you kind of walk that fine line of, of how to do it. And um, it's a challenge and it's awesome, man. So kind of babble on a little bit right there, but, uh, 
but yeah, man, happy, happy to dive into any of this stuff. Awesome. Awesome. So my question, the first question really is watching you and you going from player to now coach, right? So the, the transition and the difference, and you're a young coach. So I feel, you know, a lot of times you get some of these younger coaches that are coaching players or people that are a little bit older than them is a little challenging to be like, well, who's this guy? And how's until they see how much you love the game and they're like, dude, this guy's awesome. You know, what was the what's the biggest challenge that you see in just your transition from player to now coach? Yeah, I think, well, I'm not that young. I'm not that young. And, and uh, look it. I, pre- I appreciate that. Um, but that, but there, there definitely was a period in time where that's happening, right? Cause whether it's a call, it mostly happens at the college game or in the pro right. game. It's actually currently happening to our, I had worked with an infield guy last year named Daidai Otaka. Who's, who's on, he's on Twitter, puts out really good infield stuff. And him and I were both infield coaches with the Astros and, um, he got hired by the Cubs to be their infield coordinator. And then a month later I got promoted into the infield coordinator role. He's fresh out of college. And so he's 23 years old and uh, there's guys getting, there's guys drafted in spring training that are older than him. Right. So I got to witness that firsthand. I got to experience that a little bit, you know, when, when I got done playing, but ultimately it's, it's, it's about, first of all, no one cares. No one cares about what you know, unless they know how much you care. Right. And, and I think, you know, in the, the ABCA, Rachel Balkovich got it, got a chance to speak on stage and she's, she's incredible. And she's, she's grinded her way all the way from strength coach in different organizations to, you know, what, you know, everyone knows the story and it's probably be a movie someday. Like I'm sure she goes through similar stuff like that too. Right. It's like, she's a female never played pro baseball. Right. But she's the, the, the poster, the poster person for like, those, those players could easily say anything they want in those regards, but she just keeps hammering them on how much she cares about their development with backed with extreme preparation, extreme knowledge. And the most important part is extreme humility, right? Like I will be the first person and she will be the first person to have a conversation with a player and be like, and, and someone might ask them a question and they go and, and we or she goes like, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. But that's a great point. And now I'm curious to go try it. And I, I think we're in a really cool place in, in coaching right now. Obviously, the, the changing of the guard with analytics and numbers and really high tech phones and um, video equipment, all this stuff. We're, we're in a little changing of the guard with this old regime of of baseball people that for whatever reason, excuse me, were brought up in the, in the, to believe that if you didn't play, you can't be a part of this game. Or if you didn't play, you don't know where now we have people that are like, yeah, I don't know, but I will try any different way to learn, which leads to a really great open-minded approach that leads to helping multiple types of humans. It's really awesome, right? So that's kind of the the long winded answer is if you're a young coach, let's this is like I said this this could be like a high school thing. Like you you graduate high school, and you want to go back and help your high school, but you still got buddies on the team, like battling that. But again, this could happen at at the college level. You're 26, 
in that window in your early 20s. And, and it, it's going to be tough always to go back to a place where you have buddies on the team. But let's say you go somewhere else and they feel like you're young. They, they could sense that you're a young person. So they're instantly going to be like, well, what does this person know? Same thing in the, in the pro game. And it could even the pro game, it could not even be like your age. It could be like, well, I'm worth 40 million bucks. Right. And I don't care what you know. Well, then it's just about building. It's about building the, the trust and the relationship with that person to then at some point have those have those conversations with those guys. Like like a great example is right now, last year I, I was at high A. So I, I, I know the high A infielders really, really well. And a lot of the younger minor leaguers, but I don't I coming into this season, I didn't know obviously our big league guys, but some of our higher level double A, triple A infielders. I knew them, but don't have a relationship with them. So like early in spring training there, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that exact thing, building a relationship, having conversations, not even about baseball, just about their life and their off season and their families to get to the point to where, you know, let's say like a common a second base, the second base common play is like the push flip versus like the turn and throw. Well, a lot of guys are comfortable turning and throwing, but the push flip can tend to be maybe a little quicker. Well, like you get into a weird range far from second base where guys are like, that's too far. And it's like the conversation is, well, how do you know it's too far unless you try to flip it too far? So like I had a conversation with one of our AAA guys recently, but it took like two weeks of getting to know this guy to even be com comfortable enough to have this conversation. Now, the longer that I'm the in this role, those conversations will speed up because those relationships will speed up. But yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting deal, right? Like a lot of coaches and a lot of people want to just come in and be like, oh, I need to show these people how much I know. But again, it don't matter until they know that you you genuinely care about them. And um, it's something that that I take and I think our organization takes a lot of pride in. So I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of it. Hearing it from you, right, dealing with those kind of level and you're, you at that level, it's like, because there's some guys that aren't open-minded, right? There's that guy that you can talk to that's kind of like marking it off like, bro, this guy, he didn't play and I'm not even giving him the time of day and I don't care. You know, and it's almost like you got to put more time in. It's almost like sometimes some guys are more challenging than other guys that are just like, hey, you know, and I think that for us right now, trying to talk to coaches that maybe played, maybe didn't play, but now they're coaching, you know, nine-year-olds for the first time and trying to explain to them what it's going to be like. And those are the guys that are like, well, I played in high school and I know what I'm doing. And you're like, okay. And then you go watch their practices in zero organization, zero preparation. And none of the kids, you know, try out again next year. And you're like, man, you just blew it. So it's just like trying to get them to understand, to understand your players. They're only nine. You know, the best kids are going to cry if they get out because they don't know how to handle themselves or they feel like they're letting the team down, you know? So what are some things that, that you guys do or you do? I know the levels are different, but to break the ice a little bit with that guy that you don't know yet and you, you know, you said it takes some, some time to communicate and get to know each other. What can a youth coach do to get to know his players better? Yeah, I mean, well, every he got examples for every type of age group. You know, like, uh, I guess you can work backwards. Like, I'm a huge glove nerd. So, yeah. like, I'm, you know, and I'm coaching the infielders. So, like, you know, I'll just, if I don't know a guy, like, I think one of the first conversations I had with Bregman 
was like, okay, I'm not going to like, I don't know this, this guy, but one of the first conversations I had was we just happened to be standing, getting, they were getting ready to play catch. And I was like six feet from him. And I was just like, you know, did Rawlings send you that new glove or did like, what, what style glove is that? And just try to find common ground. And then we had a brief conversation and then maybe that's like, that's the the beginning of that. But it could be, you know, when I was younger, it was video games, like the new call of duty would come out and it would be like, who's, you know, what's your, what's your kills or what, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't really play anymore. don't have time, but, um, and then with seven-year-olds and nine-year-olds, uh, it's like, I, I think that, you know, you're not going to watch whatever silly shows they watch or have anything to talk about relatable. So I think with those younger kids showing that you can be kind of playful and goofy because that's what they are mm-hmm. and that's what they relate to the most. Like when their parents or when they have play time, it's like, all bets are off. They have nothing to worry about. They run around. So like building that into your, your repertoire that shows that like this coach who might be, you know, intimidating figure, like I'm loud, I'm super loud. And so that can be intimidating, but like, I need to make sure that he can hear me, but I'm also like, like we'll do super cool stuff with the seven, eight, nine year old groups. uh, When I get a chance to coach them, like, it's not just like military, like we have to do this. We have to do this. Like, we'll go, all right, uh, whatever, like what different styles of playing catch. Like, I don't really like to let six-year-olds play catch with each other because it's a mess. So I'll structure it in a way where it's like, all right, for catch play, the kids have a, a pile of balls or a bucket and they're grabbing it and just throwing it to a coach. Right. Because you get way more throwing reps. Then for catch time, like a, have them stand in a half circle and they're just catching tennis balls barehanded or trying to, you know, like giving them those super strict requirements and they need to like kind of earn the right to play catch. Now I know little league coaches get like got two practices before games, just a disaster, but you can, I think really expedite those things. That's a, that's a whole nother conversation, but you know, you do your catch play and then instead of going in like a traditional structure practice, it's like, all right, now we're going to practice robbing home runs like right off the bat. It's like, whoa, this is sick. Or practice sliding or we play this fun game called tag your teammate where it's like you have two lines, one one group's out of base, one group's running from a designated cone and I toss the ball when I think the runner is getting close but also to try to avoid collisions. And it's a it's like a super competitive environment where the kid's catching and tagging and it's like, And you're just, every time a guy gets out, you're just make the most obnoxious, you know, over the top reaction to it because then you're, then you're playing to like their like roller coaster of emotions. And they're like, this guy's crazy, but it, but it helps you connect with what they have going on inside. Right. Right. You can, obviously we have the ability as adults to be like, just like the regimented person. But I, I think that's the best way to connect with those young those super young individuals is, is you have to connect to like what's going on in their, in their brains. And, um, you know, if like, if at any given time you, you got a bucket of tennis balls, like at any given time, it's like dodgeball breaks out. You're like dodgeball. And it's just, it's just absolute chaos. Like everyone runs and you just throw, throw tennis balls out on the field. And it's like dodgeball or tag. You can play with 
their attention spans or whatever, but it's, it's kind of a give and give and take. And of course, sometimes you, after those crazy games, kind of like summer camp, after those crazy games, you, it might take a little while, while longer to reel them back in. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, you know, I think that's the best way. So, so what are some things that, you know, you're just talking about how you make it fun for the seven-year-olds, you know, and sometimes you go and you're watching on ESPN, you're watching the MLB network and you're seeing some of the guys at spring training, right? And they've got, they got mini wiffle balls. They've got some, some dodge balls. They have no gloves and they're working on different picks. I mean, how do you guys at your level, at the major league level, keep it fun, right? Cause there's a lot of, you know, how do you guys keep the game fun? Do you do a lot of the same stuff? Yeah, so I mean, I, I I think this is what 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 can kind of separate infield coaches and infield systems um, is is always finding that balance of uh, look, these guys are pro players. They need to see they need to see the ball bouncing on the dirt, and they need to get ground ball reps and understanding some of the numbers. Like eighty percent of balls are top spin balls, and this many balls go over this many miles an hour. So like, okay. I, I need to check that box. We need to get that in. But, I, you know, like we we structure it pretty good where every infield group, I think I get about seven. So let's, this is just minor league camp. You know, get about seven to ten infielders. Let's make it a round number. Let's say it's 12 infielders in each group. We have enough coaches where we can split them into three groups of four. Three groups of four where it's like three stations for – so if I have an hour, they play catch, they do their throwing stuff. Let's say they got 40 minutes – 30 minutes of infield, you know, that's three, three, eight to 10 minute rotations. We, we keep it, you know, we keep it fresh where it's like, all right, these three, we have these three drills going on and it could be just rolled ground balls where you're super focused on individual players, technical skills. One station could just literally be tags or double play turns, but it could be with like a guy rolling a medicine ball for it, for a tag or throwing one of those, like a, and like football tackling dummies. So it adds those cool and those cool environments where they're just not going through the motions. And then one station can be just a true kind of nasty machine deal. Right. And, and kind of mix it up. Like, dude, hardballs are scary. And, you know, uh, after seven to 10 ground balls, the dirt can get chewed up. And so we got to be kind of careful with, with some of the hardballs. So like we might shoot like, those light flight dimple balls, which are kind of becoming popular now, we might shoot those with like super nasty top spin because those will kind of give you like a little speed wobble knuckle deal, which a which a real baseball does. It simulates speed and it simulates like shape, so like kind of like talking like a hitting coach, but it takes kind of the fear of it off the table. So you see, we always are like shooting commands at players, like keep your nose in there, keep your head down, chest down, freaking whatever, get in front of it, whatever it is. But like the fact of the matter is like the ball is scary and like this could blow my teeth out of my face. So it's harder than you think. Right. But when you shoot those lighter balls or incredible like rag balls or incredibles, um, I don't know what you guys call them. You, uh, you know, the East Coast and West Coast got a bunch of d- different names for different types of uh, training things. I mean, Sue, we're about to start camp on, sa- on Saturday for our minor league guys and they're about to go through a three week gauntlet um every day you know 15 hour days or 10 hour days well maybe that's for me but um they're long and and uh the first week they're going to be amped so they're going to be like they'll do whatever but like week two 
they're like, huh, like an hour of ground balls, you know, even dude, I mean, even like the third day, if you just do, if you're just shooting ground balls, it can get a little like, okay. Like they stop, they stop fielding balls with like really good intent. So if you can balance it out and do, I think this applies across the board. This applies in the college game. Obviously the college game has a lot more time restrictions and what I experienced in the college game, you have to get whatever players you have ready to have success like immediately. So you don't have as much time to like, like do these creative drills and have this kind of slow learning curve. Uh, you know, if you can, if you can keep it fresh and like, okay, one, one drill is super hard and difficult. And one drill is like a little easier and, and they can focus on a technique without the worrying about the ball killing them. Uh, I think it, it really helps with the, the, the mind and the focus and, and all that stuff. And, you know, the, we're really fortunate. I mean, we get to, the, the players leave after their three week spring training and then they get to go play 140 games. But when they're at home, they get like, you know, like I was the infield coach at high A last year. I thought it was so awesome every day. And when we're at home on the roads, a little different. I basically got to do a one-on-one 20 to 30 minute lesson practice, individual work with each of, of the guys. And so it was really cool. Cause it was like, Hey, I can just sit here and hit this guy ground balls and just get, quote, get my day over with. But I could also be like, Hey man, we got this time and it's super valuable. We can like really attack some of your things you're working on or your goals to help you. And it was really, it was really cool to be like 30 minutes a day for freaking six months. Like this guy can get better really fast, but you don't have that luxury in the, in the college game. Right. What are some, what are some mental things, you know, for those kids out there that are, that are struggling that are making error or boot the ball, you know, they get down on themselves so fast. What are some cool things that you've seen at your level that guys do that you're like, dude, that's a good one or something that's impressed that like, I never heard of that one before, or, you know, what are some techniques that you've learned over the, over the years that can help guys with their mental side when they're about to lose their shit all over the place and they're just like, want to freak out? Yeah. That, and that's a cool question because I mean, so coming up at, at San Rosa JC, coach Nylinger, who's a all-time elite human, all-time greatest baseball coach, doesn't probably get it the, the credit he deserves for, for building the type of men and humans that he builds. Um, you know, like I think you, you're, you've become tight with Johnny Gomes and he'll say the same thing about him. Um, kind of like a father figure to a lot of us, uh, second father figure, you know, like my dad's a great man too. And, and he just, Damon kind of takes, takes over for where those dads in that 18 to 20 year old window, like, you know how it is, dude, like you, it's your dad. She's like, whatever you've, you've, you don't even really appreciate that until it's later, but Damon, Damon kind of takes that, but that 18 to 20 year old window, like you, you have to kind of, especially junior college kids, you kind of have to be a little bit more, you, not you have to be, you can be a little more harsh with them in that environment because one winning is important Two, details are important back in early two thousands. Like the, the humans were different. We were softer than the generation before us. And every, you know, everyone says that it's not that we're, you maybe you're softer. It's just that you're more aware of your, your feelings. I don't know. Damon had some ways like you'd come off the field after making an air and you know, he had that kind of older school mentality where sometimes it'd be like, get it together, get in your face, kind of getting you to check in because maybe he felt like it was more of a focus related deal where 
I would do that early in my career. And looking back on it, it was like, I don't know if that helped. Uh, you know, I think that when you get on top of a guy, like get in a player's face or a, just a human's face after they make a mistake, it's kind of like a double negative. You're like compounding it. And then now kind of understanding a little bit better how human emotions work. Like I do, I've changed my uh, approach on that. And obviously working with young kids, which I think is one of the most important things that any coach can do. Like Cloverdale high school, where I went to Cloverdale, California has one major league player ever. His name is Rich Roland. A lot of people listening to this podcast will know Rich Roland's son, Robbie Roland, who runs the Robbie Rowe show. Everyone knows this, this kooky character and he's done a great, you know, he's, you know, he's, he, he loves baseball and he's used that platform to, to, be what he is. And Rich Roland coached me right before I went and played in Italy. And we'd spent a lot of days in the cage together. And, and obviously in that time of my life was a mentor. And one thing he said is, Hey Mike, if you want to get into coaching, I think you'll have a chance, but make sure you, before you do anything, coach really young players and you'll, it'll change your perspective on everything. Because I was like, I'm like, no man, I'm going to coach him like Damon and I'm going to, be in their face and I'm going to hold them accountable because we need to make men, you know? And it's like, okay. And he's like, just trust me, you know, trust me on this one. And then I, <laughs> there's a, there's more ways, more ways to make men than, than that. But like Damon's way works and he made a lot of tough, tough minded men because of it. But I think a lot of us will be like, I think I would like to use a little bit of what he does and a little bit of some other stuff at times. But, uh, yeah, man. So you start coaching seven-year-olds, you can't just cuss them out, right? You right. can't just you can't just hold them accountable to the 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 most extreme degree. And so it's like, oh, okay. There's maybe a different way to do this, right? Obviously, the older they get, there's maybe a little more extreme levels of accountability because some of it is focus related. But uh, I remember when I went to UC San Diego, this was a, the, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, Coach Eric Newman. Like we had a, a, an instance where a player probably could have chested up on a ball, right? So it appeared that he wasn't being tough. And I was like ready to meet him. At, and did, I mean, this was only four years ago. So I'm like, it's kind of my coaching career. Like I should have known better. And I was just like ready to meet him at the edge of the dugout. And Newman like beats me to it and like bats me out of the way. And like, and kind of blows him up and holds him accountable. And I was like, uh, later on, and so I was like, like, well, I can't double up on it. I can't piggyback on the head coach, like bad cop, bad cop. So I didn't really know what to do. And then later on, I was like, hey, how do you want me to handle that? And he's just like, look, that's my job is to hold them accountable in that realm. Your job is to coach them. So if that happens again, or maybe down the road, I might not even meet him there try to understand more of why he made that decision and why that's going on. And let me be the guy that like, if I need to, if I need to check their focus and be the, the guy that chews them out, quote unquote, I will be that guy. But your job is to maintain their trust, which then bridges the gap to, to my trust. Right. That is so good because that's what I was talking about. In our coaches clinic, one of the coaches like, you know, I follow your guys' stuff. I'm trying to, you know, maintain this coaching mentality of positive and this and that and development. 
and I have these two other dads that are like animals. As soon as a kid throws a ball, it's, why are you throwing a ball? Or as soon as a kid strikes out, how come you're, t-? he goes, and how do you control like the roles of the guys? Like how do, how do I control these guys to be able to coach the team the way I want to when I have these two animals that are just like point out every negative thing? Do every, you know, and I, and I love what you just said because your head coach is pretty much saying to you, let's stay to our roles. I'll be the bad cop. You be the good cop. You be the development guy. You be the guy that they can go to. You be the guy that they can trust and get them better. And I'll stay on this side. And that way you're not switching gears and being like, wait, am I supposed to be the guy that's supposed to just get on him or am I staying in my lane? So I think that's an awesome, awesome message for coaches to know that, you know, if you're the infield coach, be the infield guy. If you're going to handle the outfielders and where they go, but don't try to you know, do everything to where now there's five dads or five coaches yelling at the same kid for the same thing that he did wrong five times. Like, that's not going to help anybody. So I love that you said that. I, I love that. Then I started thinking about my own career. And at New Mexico Highlands, I was coached by a good man named Steve Jones. And um, that's kind of where, so obviously, you know, really, really, we, we go through this really nice growing, growing up in, uh, at Santa Rosa Junior College, but you're 18 to 20. And still don't know much and then you know but but you're we were given this really cool structure that we just we would die for well you know junior college isn't a four-year college so you have to go somewhere else so I went to New Mexico Highlands because I didn't really have a lot of options didn't have a great had a really good freshman year didn't have a great second year you know and the D1 dream died and, and whatever but I wanted to play for a championship more than I cared about the D1 validation deal like yeah it was sad that I wouldn't get a chance to play in Omaha which I dreamt about as since I was a kid but I didn't care and, I, and this is this is a side topic to this if there's any high school kids listening or college kids that listen to this I try to when I was at UC San Diego and we'd have prospect camps I would edu- try to educate them on this like today's in- kid cares more about themselves and what people think about them on Twitter and like they're posting about their college commitment rather than winning a national championship. And that's kind of a, a problem. And, and I challenge those kids to look in the mirror and be like, why? Because ultimately, ultimately no one cares about our, our social media or no one really cares about what you do, right? It's about gaining the experience of what it takes to to persevere and, and win. And anyway, I wanted to win and, and play for a national title more than I cared about going D one. And, and that was one of my only choices. And Steve, Steve had a little different system than, than Damon. And, and I had to kind of adapt and learn and, and navigate my own way. And as I got through that program, it was like, okay, maybe there's different ways to go about stuff. Right. And I'm sorry, I'm probably starting to mature a little bit at this time. Well, one time I was playing second base and I don't think you're going to find like a grittier player that cares more about his team than me. This is what I truly felt and would do anything for the team, wear a pitch and dive and, and jump in front of a bullet for a teammate, whatever it was. Right. But we're playing uh, Mesa, Colorado Mesa, who's a national powerhouse. And we're one and two, like we're basically a rival, like it's us and them. And we both got really good teams while well, we're still playing with like Beezer bats or whatever. Like it was BB core, not BB core. It was minus three, but they were Beezers. Right. So 
Colorado Mesa is notorious, like three guys that are draftable guys in their lineup. I'm playing second base. This dude hits this like top spin line drive to second that like off the bat, it was going to my right. So I go to my right and then it hits the dirt and it was going so fast and so hard that it jumped over my left shoulder. Well, to the dugout, if you're not in my eyes, it appeared that I jumped out of the way, but I was moving to the whatever. And so then I came in and I was supposed to hit that inning and I got, I got benched for quote, jumping out of the way of the ball. And I'm like, this is BS and all the emotions that I had, because, you know, I'm going up and I'm telling you the assistant coach, of that. Yeah. I'm telling my assistant coach, like, dude, you know, that I wouldn't do that. Like it just, it was probably going 112 miles an hour. So using that as my reference now coaching young guys, like, I will always, when guys come in the dugout, I will never instantly start coaching them. Even at the youngest level, I will, all, they will come in and I'll be, it'll, you know, it'll be something along the lines of like, Hey, why'd you make that? Why did you do that? Or how did you feel about that play? You know, like last night we, you know, we we're playing in a minor league uh, spring training game, major league spring training game. And one of our minor leaguers was in the game and there was a double cut that was like, barely over his glove and the, the general rule of double cuts is if it's over your head let it go but I thought he could have like kind of moved with it caught it and had good momentum he's like well it's over my head I'm like well you're six four so do you think that if you moved like two more steps you could have caught it? but he's like oh man probably and I'm like all right well just have that in mind for the next time that might come up rather than me being he coming in and me going hey dude you got to catch that it's like well what 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 about what that guy's brain perceived rather than what mine perceived? And so I always try to kind of get their story. Even the seven-year-olds do like, hey, man, um, you know when the game was going on and I looked into left field and you were doing somersaults or practicing your dives while the, while the ball was being pitched? You, you got any reason for that? You know, and they'll probably, be, they'll probably say something super cool like, yeah, I love somersaults. And you'll be like, me too. That's great. Try to do them um, not on the field, right? It just, but then the kid's like, hey, you know, the kid is more likely to be like, this guy gets it. He likes somersaults. Like, why wouldn't I do them on, the, on this soft grass, right? And it's just about, it, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about human connection at every level and, and trying not to play that, like, authoritarian because it, it, there's a time and place but if you can connect person to person from seven to 27, I think there's a lot more benefit in it. I, I think that's so good. I put, you know, I put the coaches on the spot in our coaches click. And I said, I started getting a little fired up too, because there's some guys that just like think they know it all. Then there's some that were first time coaches. And I'm like, you know what? I said, there's 105 coaches here right now. We're going to break up into four stations at 25. I said, and I'm going to put you on the spot, and we're gonna, you're going to have to do some of these drills that you've never done before. And I want you to feel what you feel like when 22 other adults are watching you when you know you're going to mess up, you're afraid to fail, you're afraid to drop the ball. I want you to think about what you feel like because when your son is now on the ball field, when he's pitching or hitting, I want you to think back to this moment and say, wait, maybe I shouldn't yell or scream that he missed that ground ball or maybe I shouldn't scream, you know. I'm like, so I want you to really think about what you're feeling as an adult compared to what a nine-year-old might feel like when they're out and everybody's staring at them. So, you know, it's just like getting them to try to 
think about what it feels like, right? Like before they just bark orders and scream and, you know, it's all about them instead of, no, it's about the kids that you're trying to coach, you know? Yeah, it, that's, that's, that's awesome. I, I, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a pretty good relationship now with La Jolla Little League, one mile from Torrey Pines. So like plenty of, plenty of really, you know, successful people up there. And the league president right now is a great man who really cares about the kids experience. And uh, he, he let me talk to the league last year after I had done that junior Tritons program. And, you know, the, the message was similar to that. Like, I, I want to give you guys some perspective, right? <laughs> like you guys, the, the parents who majority of them don't haven't played or don't understand the difficulty of baseball, but more like general perspective, like, okay, a lot of you sit in front of a computer or at a desk or wherever for work, let's say for, let's call it a two hour period, which is a little league game. How many of you can sit at your computer for two hours when you're not in like a super important meeting without grabbing your phone, checking your email, grabbing your copy, any of those and raise your hand and be on it. And like none of them, like, however, we expect this seven-year-old that was just watching blues clues in their pajamas you you truly expect them to go out there and be like locked in like it's game seven of the world series why because you because because i said let's be honest because we we you maybe you maybe had some sort of athletic aspirations it didn't work out so now you're projecting it onto onto them for some weird weird external validation and I, it was just like i'm not a parent i hope to be someday but I, and I said, look, so I, I don't understand. I don't have the reference of what you guys go through trying to put them to bed and brush their teeth and do all this stuff, but this is their life and their experience. And you guys have to understand that even though you at 45, 50, whatever your parents age are 30 to 50, you as a 30 year old adult have the ability to maybe check out, check in, check out, check in with your focus but like they don't yet. And so when they, when their brain checks out, it might be for like six minutes. It might be for the whole inning. And, and with that, I, I referenced the guy that the first, so the first fall ball game we played, well, first of all, I told them like, we might not win a game all year because this there's seven this and, and every inning they're going to play a different position position. Like I got this Excel sheet. They just find their name and they go to a different position. So that they're learning positions on whatever. So if you want Johnny to play shortstop every inning, you go somewhere else. Cause this is his fall ball. They're learning how to play baseball. And, yeah. and we, you know what, we might not keep score because I don't care because, you know, like they will learn how to play good, better and all whatever. First game, I think on the seven U team, there's this kid named Robert. And in the second inning, I started keeping track on like this little thing that I had the dad. So wherever he was on the field, let's just split the field in half, left side or right side, whatever side of the field he was on, the dad would find a a place like in line with the fence and every pitch scream his name. So I started charting it. He said his name one game, like 85 times. So the next practice, right where the the parents sit. So you see San Diego, right where the parents sit. I started doing like this, this controlled catching drill where they all had a cone and I was just tossing them tennis balls. And then it's like random. And then it's a competition, whatever. So I could, I saw the dad drop the kid off. 
And I wanted, like, sometimes the parents are like, I'm smarter than the coach. I, I can trick him and coach, you know, like t tell my kid whatever I want. And so I know what's going on. And I wanted them to know what was going on. So I was like, so I started tossing them balls and I saw him and I'm like, hang on, kind of condescendingly. Does anybody want to start screaming Robert's name every five seconds? <laughs> so he's, so what he experiences in the game is what he experiences in practice. I'm trying to create a real practice environment here loud enough so he could hear what I'm saying and be like, I know what you're doing. You need to stop it. Right. This is, this is, I know what you're doing. You want him to pay attention, but every five seconds he's looking over at you and then he's looking back and it's just chaos. And, and, you know, and then it got to a point where it's just like, I went and talked to him afterwards. I was like, Hey man, it'd be really helpful if you just let me do the, do the deal or me and my assistants or whatever it might be. But it was so great. Cause then it's just like, you know, just screaming his name or in a high school environment. Um, one time we had a, a first and third play and a comebacker got hit and the kid should have known to go to second, turn the double play, but somebody in the dugout yelled four and the kid like panicked. And so for like the next week we do double play comebackers. And like, we would, we would just be like everyone, I would have everyone on the team, like scream a different number to try to distract him. He's like, Dude, you should know. Just go to second. Dude, that's so awesome because that's that's what Steve always uh, he always talks about that. Because my son, when he was eight, there was runners on first and second. Ground ball hit to him. One coach is yelling three, three, three. One's yelling two, 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 one, one, one. And my son just caught the ball and his head was like, and he just held the ball and got no outs. And I'm like, mm. I was like so fired up, like just because everybody put him in that situation of like. So the inning was over. I came in. I said, listen, buddy. He's like, daddy, I, I just, it was hit slow enough. I should have went to first. But then I heard three. I heard two. I'm like, you're right. I said, and the coaches, I said, all three of those plays could have been right. But we can't make this like a video game with our kids in it. Let them, yeah. if he would have thrown it to third and the guy would have been safe, we could have talked to him after saying, hey, since the ball took you towards second, you could have flipped it to second, or because it was hit soft, you could have went to first. But instead, everyone's just screaming. So that next day in practice, that's what we did, first and second. We had runners, and we hit all different types of balls. So they knew then, if it took me towards third, this is what I did. If it took me towards second. It... So I always try to take accountability as a coach going, okay, I didn't train my guys enough to where if anybody's screaming, they know what to do with the ball. Instead of just yelling at my kid for, not getting it out, it was like, hey, that's Coach Duke's fault. I'm going to get you guys so prepared that anybody can yell anything and you're still going to get an out, right? Like, whatever out that is. Like just So I, I love that you said that because it's, it's like a video game out there, buddy. It's, it's, it, then you have the people in the stands, you have, and it's like, just let us coach. Let these kids just play. Let them just play the game on their own terms, not on what we think right. they should do. You know, I think the key there is like the human body, the human uh, humans learn through failure. Right. And at, it, it, I, I try to explain to parents and kids a lot or even even pro guys, you know, like they're trying to learn a new technique. When a child learns to walk, they stand up and fall and stand up and fall and they fail. They, they fail. Right. And parents, I don't know what where it happens at some point in time. And I am hope to experience it one day. But. Parents go from praising failure, and this is maybe an American society deal, like over competitive and, 
you know, false hope and all this crap. They go from praising their child for failing on a daily basis to then criticizing their failures. Like, like, dude, we're, we learn, I think we learn until we die. You know, like I'm presenting some stuff to the organization right now. That's like, I hope that we fail at this and I hope we fail now and like fast because the sooner we do it and the sooner people can poke holes in it, the faster that we can adapt and adjust the, the youth kids. It's crazy that, you know, parents and even like you said, parents that may have played and been good, they might even not even realize why they were good and still have these weird expectations. And it's like, no, man, we need to let them fail. And then we need to educate them and coach them off of the failures and praise their failures. And you know what? It's like what you just said. It's like when your child falls, you pick them up and go, good job. And you just put them back up again. They fall again. Good job. And like you said, you're praising that. Well, they're falling. Why are you saying good job? Because you know that they're that much closer to being able to walk, you know, but then all of a sudden there's an age that happens to where now all of a sudden it's, me making an excuse why he failed, that's the worst part of it. Well, the umpire this or, man, like, it's this glove. It's like, I'm like, listen, there's no excuses. There's no whining and there's no complaining. That's it. It's effort, attitude, and hustle. That's it. Like, those are the three things. Because all the kids right now are getting ready for tryouts. High school tryouts, they're stressed out. I'm like, this is what I want you to think about. What can you do to make the team if you had a horrible day? right? You stunk hitting. You st they're like, hustle, have a good attitude. Anyway, I'm like, those are the things that are going to propel you. And the coach is going to see that like, wow, eh, swinging, eh, it's okay. But man, he was cheering for everybody. The kid was an, was an attitude, just got everybody fired up. Like, I want that kid. Because if you're just worried about your performance and everything else goes like this, and now all of a sudden you're dragging your feet, you're getting sluggish, you have a bad attitude. Like, even if you have a good day and you're one of those guys, no one wants you, you know, so you might as well be that other person and try your best, you know, to be a, a good team player and just, but I can't stand the, the whining and the complaining and the, oh, it was because of this. It's like, bro, we're going to do push-ups when someone just, and that's my thing. If I see one kid go like this, we do five push-ups immediately because yeah. this just means it's somebody else's fault, not me. So we all just. I'm like, even Coach Duke, if I'm on the third base coaching box and I do this, we're all going to go down. I'll do the same exact thing. So the more I can get you out of that mentality and the more into, okay, you know what? I'm sliding on the mound, but I got to figure it out. I got to move to the left or to the right. I got to move up in the box or back. Like, figure it out. Like, well, let's just figure it out. It doesn't matter. You already messed up. Let's figure it out. Well, circling back to kind of a different methods, you know, like the, that are really successful is, you know, like you talk about everyone's focused on like the completion of the play, right? Well, like there's like what four elements to it, four or five elements to a ground ball, right? Did, were you on time with your prep step? Did you go in the right direction? Did you get a good hop? Did you catch it or did you use the right technique or any technique? Did you catch it? And then, then was your, you know, whatever, whatever, however you want to break that down. Well, like the kid will drop, maybe it'll clank out of his glove or whatever, or like hop over his glove. It's like, well, dude, if there's five elements to that ground ball, you did four of the five correct. You just got a weird, you got an in-between hop. So like, yeah, the post-catch stuff doesn't matter. Let's start thinking of that. Like if you get three out of those five correct, that gets internally deposited as a positive rep. 
So if, if more of your reps are positive than negative, you are getting better. And so then that changes their, that changes their internal like energy to be like, Oh, okay. Like <laughs> I, yes, I, I tell co coaches kind of like, well, catching the ball matters. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, duh, duh. But when we're, when we're on the backfields and no one's watching or when we're in a one-on-one -on -one lesson, no one is going to see, like you're trying, let's say you're trying to learn a backhand or on the run technique. Like you might fail a hundred times by definition, like the ball not going in your glove, but the hundred and one or the thousandth time might be the first time you use it in a game. And you're going to go boom, boom, and throw them out. In the, and the, everyone's going to be like, whoa, how'd you do that? That was sick. And no one's going to know that you just literally failed a thousand times before that by definition. But like, like I said, in those thousand, you were doing four of the five or three of the five things correctly. So you're just depositing positive, positive, positive rep. And it's just like you can completely change the, 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 the way that the mind interprets repetitions in that way. The thing I love about that is, you know, you always hear quality at bats, quality at right. bat charge. I never thought of it like that for fielding or now I'm even thinking of it as I'm thinking about it, like for pitching or for anything. But for me as an infielder, like I love that because, you know, we, the other day I was working with a, with a 10 year old and we were working on the slow roller and we were working on angles first and throwing angles and he caught it off the right foot, boom, boom. But the ball, you know, tailed on him and, and hit the net instead of hitting the, uh, the first base. I'm like, that, that's awesome. And the dad looked at me like, what do you mean? He just threw the ball away. I'm like, but his footwork was perfect. He got down in a perfect slot. Now we just got to read the run on the ball. I'm like, but he did everything right but that part. And the guy was just like, end result, end result. Like, that was his mentality where, where I was like praising, yeah, he threw it away. But man, he did everything else so well. So I love that you're talking about the quality, um, you know, instead of the quality at bat, the quality of feeling. You did three of the four things right. or the, Dude, yeah. that's sick. Like, that, that's, if we can do that more often with everything in life, like, you know, oh, I'm having a bad day. Well, what do you mean? How are you having a bad day? What happened so bad? The one thing, and you're like, what about this, 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 and this? You're like, well, yeah, I guess I, I, guess I am lucky. I guess I'm having a good day, you know? So I think teaching coaches that look for the good stuff in every bad, like, okay, they're that much closer to doing it right. And what did they do right? Right, and point those out so they're like, dude, I did do good. Not just, oh, my dad said I threw it away so it was bad, because that just, that takes away all the good positive parts of what just happened well. I'm, I'm so pumped that you said that. That's, I'm using that, I'm using that now. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and I'm, the, I'm like the biggest, you, you know, praise. I'll, I'll do that stuff too, especially when I'm back home. With these like overly competitive, over competitive dads, I'll be like, oh man, he's just got to, he's got to make more plays. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't care. They're like he's seven, he, he needs to make more plays when he's, you know, eighteen. But he needs to actually fail at a bunch of plays right now. You know, <laughs> he needs to fail at a bunch so that way he can figure out he can figure out how to do it and when to do it. And like, they're like, dude, you're crazy, man. Like, I'm like, yeah, because. It's as much as it sucks, like winning doesn't matter when they're young, teaching them to do things and, and, and learn matters. You can teach them to be competitive in different, in different ways, but they're mutually exclusive, right? Like we talk about with the Astros and player development. I think, we, I hope someone listens to this and that, that ranks the minor league systems. 
because we get we constantly get backed for not having super strong minor league systems player development wise but it's like well we got two big league guys on our big league roster that were like you know thousand dollar senior signs that were quote developed in our in our system and it's like that's what it's all about you know Man. player to de- player development i think i i i think that's awesome you know and and then you know one of the things i, I would think of the other day we were playing uh fungo we had a fungo challenge steve and i were doing we were trying to hit the ball into a bucket we were hitting balls through tires just fun stuff and he beat me three to two we, we did tic-tac-toe on this big board like it was so fun and uh so i lost three to two and i was like but i was like so fired up i'm like I, it was so challenging from the beginning to the end and i'm like yeah i can't wait to post this so like why you lost i'm like buddy there's a difference when you lose like that when you're like so it brings out the best in you when you're playing somebody and the challenge is real. I'm like, I could go play 99% of the other people out there and, and win, by, and that's not fun. I'm like, to lose on something that you have to like, every rep is like, you feel the sweat, you feel the, I'm like, so when you're saying that, it's just so, some people would rather win crushing somebody that was not even a challenge than lose every day because you got to just go absolutely have to have your A game. You know, and I just think like that's, if you if you develop players in the right way, then then the winning will come. Yeah. But you know, like it, it's it's much more gratifying. You know, like in our society, it's for whatever reason, probably because a lot of people maybe have children that didn't play sports, and they're teaching their kids about sports with with a very limited perspective. So the only reference they have is like, did we win or did we lose? And so that's what becomes important, but it's about like how you win and how you lose. Like you're saying, I, I will be if like, I'll, I'll play my, uh, I went home for Christmas. And I, my, my little sister who's 20, I went over there and I was like, Hey, like you have a PS five, don't you? And like part of our old Christmas story or, uh, what is it called? Tradition. Sorry. Yeah. was like, we'd go to grandma's house and play, you know, whatever new video game all day. And we just, and then our buddies would come over and just turn into this gauntlet of like awesome, like Madden. Right. And I was like, Hey, you got a PS five, right? She's like, yeah. It's like, do you have Madden? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, do Oh, let's go. And it's on. You're like, I'm just going to dominate. I'm like, I'm gonna, we're going to, we're going to go at it. And if I would have lost, I've been irritated, you know, because whatever, but like it's, it's you're, you're competitive, but if you lose the right way, then maybe you'll be irritated for less long, right? Because you know you know that you were prepared and you know you 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 did everything you could in the most competitive way possible. But yeah, it's it's interesting, man. <laughs> well, listen, I know you got to run. You're super busy, but thanks so much for for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to add? Or I mean, no, no, man. I, I'm I'm glad we got to connect. Uh, super excited to, to 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 run into you at ABCA. Like I said, this stuff is. Uh, I'm super passionate about about the coaching the youth kids and some of the stuff that you guys do. I think is is awesome. I think you guys are doing it doing it the right way. And and uh, and and uh, anytime I can I can break it down with you guys, I'm 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 excited too, and uh, awesome. happy to help any any way I can, man. Hey, Mike, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on the show. Have a great rest of your day. Have fun in spring training, man. And hopefully, we'll talk again. Well, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it the Get Zoned In podcast. That is a wrap, and we'll see you next time and go dominate the day.